I'm Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast series brought to you today by Yetter Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With the tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. No-till is a way of life for fifth-generation grower Kelly Garrett, who raises 6,200 acres of corn, soybeans, wheat, and cover crops in western Iowa. But a recent partnership with Locus Agricultural Solutions and Nori has added a new crop to his rotation, carbon. Garrett is among the first U.S. farmers to actually receive payment for the carbon credits he's accumulated on his farm as a result of no-tilling, growing cover crops, and using a special type of plant nutrient that actually contains carbon. For this episode of the No-Till Farmer podcast, Garrett discusses how his management practices align with the carbon credits marketplace, his many winning entries in the National Corn Growers Association yield contests, why he uses a soybean byproduct fertilizer, and much more. Hello, I'm Kelly Garrett. I farm in western Iowa, about nine miles west of Denison, Iowa, in Crawford County. My wife, Amber, and I have three sons, Connor, Colin, and Cale. They are 21, 20, and 17. The older two are at Iowa State, and Cale, the youngest one, is a senior in high school at Booyer Valley. We farm in partnership with my mom and dad, Gene and Kathy. I'm the fifth generation to live at the spot I live. Amber and I built a new house, but it's the fifth generation. It's a family farm. It's a century farm. We're very proud of that. The first Garrett came back to the area after the Civil War, homesteaded there. My dad and I, we farm about 6,300 acres, mostly corn and beans, but we do have a little winter wheat. We we have a 400, 450 head cow-calf operation. And one thing that we're unique with is a little bit in Iowa, we have Netafim drip irrigation. We installed that, the first part of that, in the fall of 2015, and then from 16 to 19, we were the state yield champions in the no-till irrigated class with the NCGA yield contest, first place every year. In 19, we were first, second, and third, and our first place entry in the state also qualified us. We were uh, number two in the nation, 357 bushel to the acre. In 20, we thought we had some special corn, and uh, I was dreaming about 400 bushel corn. I don't know if we would have gotten there or not, but it looked really good. But of course, the derecho came through. And so we did not have an entry in 20, but we'll be back to try next year. The other thing about our operation that it would be unique, we have a, a trucking operation that works for a business based out of Des Moines named Feed Energy. And Feed Energy takes the byproduct out of a soybean plant. They're able to extract more oil from that product and they make liquid feed for 75 million hogs and poultry. And through their process, there is another byproduct created that I call plant food. Feed Energy produces about 22 million gallons of plant food a year, and we take it all. 
And the reason is it, it's our main source of fertilizer. It's, it's licensed as a soil amendment, which is really what it is, but it's got phosphorus and sulfur in it. And, and it's an inexpensive form of uh, fertilizer for us that's also highly available, you know, much like manure. And we created the trucking company just to get the plant food home. And we use it on our acres and we custom apply it on, on neighbors and, and people we've met because of that. And, you know, it's great for no-till. It's great for the environment. It's great for yields and it's inexpensive. So that's something that uh, a lot of my time goes into as well as managing that part of the operation. Oh, very interesting. So just talk about that plant food product a little bit. So when the soybean crusher gets done taking the meal and the oil out, the product left is called soap stock. And soap stock is still oh, approximately 15% soy oil, but the process that the crushers use, they cannot extract that. They can't get it out. Feed Energy takes that soap stock. They put sulfuric acid with it. They heat it up and they put it in large tanks and they let it settle. And when it settles, it separates. They're able to take the oil out and make the liquid feed. The solids go to fat cattle yards. They're a high fat ingredient into that cattle ration. And about two thirds of what's left is plant food. So we, you know, we, we, we pay a bit for the plant food. We bring it home and, and we store it in five lagoons around Western Iowa, and then we apply it. And the, the way we apply it are uh, hog manure tanks, you know, a six, 7,000 gallon tank that traditionally would be used for hog manure. But instead of the equipment on the back that people would be used to, we have like 70 and 80 foot spray booms on the back and we spray it. And we spray it at a rate anywhere from 300 to 500 gallon to the acre, depending on what the customer wants or what we want. And, you know, a lot of times we'll work off of a crop removal. So that's kind of what we're trying to meet, a crop removal plus just a little bit more. Okay. And what is the uh, nutrient analysis of that? On 500 gallon, the analysis would be 14, 105, 24, 105 sulfur. And, you know, in today's market, that's 100 to $110 worth of dry fertilizer. But again, that phosphorus and that K is highly available. It's, it does not get tied up. It's already been through the microbial system. So it's ready to go. It's, it's plant available nutrients from the start. A lot of people will tell me when we talk about it that you don't need 100 pounds of sulfur to raise corn. And my first response to them is, well, how do you know? Because you've never tried it before. And if you're used to taking tissue samples, you'll see that typically there's not a lot of sulfur in your tissues, even though you might be applying, you know, 24 pounds, you know, if you're putting on hundred pounds of AMS or 30 pounds of sulfur or whatever, the reason is, in my opinion, sulfur is a soil amendment first and it's a fertilizer second. And if you don't apply enough to fulfill your soil amendment needs, there won't be any left to be fertilizer. And when I say that, you know, like, you know, we're in the hills, the less hills of Western Iowa, and a lot of our base saturations on calcium will be 75 or 80%, whereas we obviously would like them to be 65. We have too much calcium. It's tying up the nutrients in our soil. So by applying plant food, the sulfur and the calcium combined, the calcium will let go of whatever else it's tied up to, right? And it goes to that sulfur, therefore making gypsum, which is a neutral product, releasing the nutrients in our soil. And, you know, we have strip trial data that we've 
we've have up to 40 bushel yield increases side by side using plant food versus a conventional. We've got strip tile data where we've increased 20 bushels of soybeans because of this calcium problem. You, over on the Missouri River bottom, south of Sioux City in the Mondaman area, we have similar results, but over there, they don't have too much calcium. They have too much magnesium and the magnesium ties up their nutrients. And that is why the product is so valuable to us. The affordability and the availability of the nutrients. And are there any timing issues with it? We start spraying as soon as the combines roll and we will spray all winter until the planters kick us out of the field, provided there isn't too much snow. You know, if the snow comes, then we have to stop. But as long as the ground is bare, we will work, you know. So we kind of try in my hills in Crawford County, once the ground freezes, we need to stop there because you'll slide off the hill. That's when we go <laughs> west over to the river bottom to the flat ground. And that's pretty nice running because we're not used to that. So as long as the ground is open, we can spray. Okay. And so you're just doing that in the off season, basically, you're not applying it to the plants themselves during the growing season? No, I will put it through my drip irrigation. It works well through there, but no, otherwise we don't. It, you know, with that little bit of nitrogen and things like that in there, it will burn the plant, first of all. Secondly, you know, it's a great fertilizer on pasture, but it'll brown the pasture till it rains. But secondly, the sheer volume of it, you know, putting it in a furrow or, or trying to foliar feed with it or something like that, it just, the volume of it that you need to move the needle, you just can't be efficient or productive enough. If I recall, you told me before that it also has some carbon in it. Is that correct? 500 gallons of plant food has 170 pounds of organic carbon. And carbon, you know, a friend of mine, Steve Kilpack, told me this one time, and it always stuck with me. 95% of raising corn is water, sunlight, and CO2. And as farmers, we worry about the other 5%, and maybe we should kind of switch our thinking around a little bit. And as I go, you know, year after year, Carbon is the key to everything. You know, the reason the plant conducts photosynthesis is to gather that carbon out of the air and exude it out through the roots to feed the microbial system. The nutrition in the soil has to go through the microbial system to become plant available. So more plant available nutrition becomes more yield. It's a pretty easy thing. So if you want more plant available nutrition, you want more microbe action. And to stimulate the microbes, to get them going, you need more carbon. So anytime we can put carbon in the soil, that's the plan, you know, and when you go talk about these carbon credits and things like that, it really, as a no-till farmer, this really is nice because we already want to do that. We should, we should be wanting to do that. The more carbon you can put in the soil, the better it is for your yield. And now, you know, now it's coming to light that it's the key to climate change. And, uh, you know, the, the, the new administration in Washington has said they're going to make it part of the uh, part of the farm program for subsidies, things like that. I even read an article in the Wall Street Journal that uh, Mr. Vilsack wants to have a farmer advisory board to make sure that farmers agree with the way that the government goes about this. You know, we'll have to see what comes to light there, but I, uh, I really applaud and encourage all of that. It's good for our yields. It's good for the climate. And hopefully it'll be good for farmers' pocketbooks as well. And then that, that plant food, I guess it's not necessarily an organic fertilizer because the soybeans that it comes from were not necessarily organic, but it's not a synthetic fertilizer. We are working, we are working with Omri to, to get it certified as, as organic. It's a long process. I, I do believe that we'll get there. I'm optimistic about it, but we're not there yet. Okay, gotcha. And then... Have you seen that using that plant food has helped you actually reduce the use of synthetic nutrients? You know, we have not purchased phosphorus or sulfur since 2016. Oh. We purchased a lot less potassium, you know, 
and, and because of our yields going up and balancing the soil, the soil being more healthier, I even really feel like we've turned down the anhydrous a little bit. And uh, we're looking into options to be able to go away from that. You know, we, we obviously still have to purchase all of our nitrogen, but NPK and sulfur are either completely zero purchases or severely limited. Nice. That's a huge benefit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially this year. You know, fertilizers are in short supply with the pandemic and, and shipping problems and, and things like that. I mean, it, I think there will be some people this spring that uh, won't get to put all the fertilizer they want on because it's not available. And are you just going back to what you mentioned about having livestock on your operation? Are you doing any grazing? You know, in the summertime, we obviously have the cows out on the pasture. And in the fall, we we run the cows on the corn stalks and the bean stubble. And we we really think that that is a benefit. Not only is it free feed for the cows, but, you know, as our yields imp- improve, in 1998, my first crop, if you had one field of corn that made 150, you're excited. Now, if the whole crop itself doesn't, an on-farm average of 225, we're disappointed. And the stock cover that has come with that yield is it's kind of tough for the next year. It's hard to get rid of all that stover. We obviously don't want to use tillage and the cows are a big part of that. We really feel that where we can pasture the cows on the corn stalks, the germination of the soybeans the next year is better than where if you just had to let the stalks lay there. Okay. Okay. So let's just back up again to your basics about your operation a little bit. How long have you been no-tilling and what got you into it? You know, I remember my dad no-tilling corn into bean stubble at a very early age. And, you know, then as we got older, you know, there we toyed around with no-till soybeans. When I came back to the farm in 1998, we purchased a 750 no-till drill and dad planted the corn and I planted the beans. You know, and then in the spring of 2012, we put trash wheels on the planter and we no-tilled corn into corn stalks. And that year, the corn only made 105 bushel overall. But the no-tilled corn in the corn stalks in Harrison County, where my wife grew up on her mom's farm, that corn made 171. I still remember that because it was $8 corn, right? And it was so much better than the corn at home. You know, and and the corn at home was uh, was no-tilled as well, but it was just, it was drier. And we had, I still remember we had like two more half-inch rains all summer. It was so dry in 12, of course. Everyone remembers that. But those two half-inch rains, leaving that stock, I believe, leaving that stock cover and that corn on corn on that ground and sealing in that moisture, protecting it from the sun, that's what gave us an extra 70 bushel, extra 65 bushel, you know, and I was sold at that point. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's huge. Especially with $8 corn at the time, you know. Yeah. And so you basically switched to 100% no-till after that? 2012, we've been 100% no-till. We have an old disc you know, if we need to fix a couple ditches or where we're pulling trucks in and out of the field or maybe a hay butt, tillage is a four-letter word at our place. We really don't want to use tillage at all. Yeah, nice. Okay. And then you are using cover crops as well to a certain extent, yes? Yes. We are going to expand those this year, you know, as part of the CSP program and as part of our research and education, what we believe the cover crops will do. This fall, I hope to have 2,500 acres of cover crops, maybe more. My expectation is 2,500 and Mother Nature will dictate that. You know, it, it's not free to put them out. Obviously, I do think there's a benefit from them. But if it isn't warm enough that they can germinate and get some growth on them, I don't think there's a return on investment. We hope to be combining corn and beans middle September, maybe earlier than that. And, you know, provided we have a normal fall, I believe we'll be able to get in the 2,500 acres. Cover crops are a big advantage, you know, 
you're making more plant available nutrients. Something's always growing on your ground, you know, turning the cows out there. The cows are going to eat it. They're going to turn that over. All of that has to do with a, a very healthy soil system, in my opinion. And so what covers are you using? Uh, cereal rye? Cereal rye. And a lot of times, you know, with our winter wheat, we'll just plant bin run wheat. I I really believe as long as you have something growing, that's the main thing. It doesn't have to be something special all the time. Just have to have something growing. Now, I do like rye better than wheat because I think it tons up more. You know, there's more growth. So I would say that, you know, my expectation is that we will grow a few more acres of rye just to keep for our own use and, and to drill back out there as a cover crop. And what's your sort of last date for getting covers in after which you wouldn't do it? You know, that's such a variable time. I would say, you know, October 10th, maybe, but that doesn't mean we can't have a warm fall. But, you know, based on when I'm trying to plant winter wheat, you get past October 10th and you don't get much fall growth on it. It really hinders that the yield of that wheat the next summer. So that that's kind of my date, but it's a moving target based on the weather. And then you're planting green into your covers in the spring, correct? Yes, we'll plant green into the covers. With corn, our traditional chemical program has been Halix, you know, and we might we might spike it with a little extra Callisto or something now and then because we just want to go touch it one time. We want to go in, we want to plant green into those covers. Then when the corn comes up, then we will go spray that corn with the Halix at a very early stage. And that's why we like to do that little extra residual in there. And that program's worked well for us. Okay. And then soybeans, are you doing it the same way? The soybeans, we will put a pre down and then we will we'll put a pre down and come back. Then in our, our chemical program, there is Liberty is what we use. We, we feel it gives us the best plant health and uh, we don't have to worry so much about the dicamba and things like that. So I wanted to also just ask you about your National Corn Growers Association yield contest. You did mention those already, but what sort of got you interested in doing that? You know, when I put in the drip irrigation, I wanted to raise 270 bushel corn reliably. I was, I, I'm very type A. I want control of everything I can. And then I just want to go to work because I believe I can be profitable, right? So I thought if after 2012, that was, uh, showed you that we were not in control, Mother Nature was. And I thought if I can control some water, that will mitigate risk. And so I searched and searched and in our hills and, and ditches and terraces, pivot was not going to work. And I found drip irrigation, but I could never find anyone to work with. Uh, John Deere had a, a drip system at that time, but just nobody thought it would work in our hills. And I had kind of given up. And I have to give a lot of credit to a man named Tim Wolf of Netafim. I first met Tim. He was in Western Nebraska in the Panhandle, a John Deere dealership, uh, working with drip irrigation, again from John Deere. And uh, we talked many times. I was very excited about it, but we just couldn't make it work out. And then in the summer of 15, I got a call from Tim. He had left the John Deere dealership, and now he was an agronomist with Netafim, and he asked me if I'd ever done anything. And I said, no, I had not found a dealer to work with. And he said, well, I've got the guys for you. And it's the Grimm family from Hiawatha, Kansas. And Kurt came up to my house. We met once. He was excited about it. Nobody had ever put irrigation in the hills like that before, but he knew I was willing to give it a shot. And he was willing to give it a shot. He came back the second time when we met with my dad and my dad said, I, I don't see why this wouldn't work. And we put in our first 78 acres. And again, I was hoping to raise 270 bushel corn. 
And uh, Kurt was there during the installation process, uh, of course. And uh, we finished the night before Thanksgiving 2015, like at midnight, because there was weather coming. We wanted fall installation and we knew. And I still remember that, you know, that'd obviously be a Wednesday, so the day before Thanksgiving. Kurt said, I've never seen soil like this coming from Kansas, Kelly. And he said, I'll be shocked if you don't raise 300 bushel corn. And I said, well, you're nuts because who would ever think that we could do something like that? And so, you know, and then they, Netafim very much encouraged me to enter the contest because, you know, it's a a big promotion for them, right? So we entered it. And at that time, if you raised over 290 bushel corn, you had to replicate it and do it again. Well, let me back up. You have to harvest 1.25 acres and weigh it out. And then at that time, if that 1.25 acres was over 290 bushel, dry, pencil strength dry, you had to replicate it. And I really wanted to raise 300 bushel corn. So we combined it that day and it was 291 bushel. And I was here and I, and, and again, you know, you're in the hurry, you're hurried up, you're during harvest, you never have enough hours in the day, right? And I was disappointed and annoyed that I didn't raise 300 bushel corn. So I cheated the math and made it a little bit. So I turned in 289.5 or something because who in the heck ever thought I'd ever win anything. And it wasn't 300 and I wanted to get to work. I didn't want to have to go through another 1.25 trial and do it. So we turned it in and lo and behold, we won. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me, you know, <laughs> you, and, and, and we won. And I still remember my son Colin and I went to the commodity classic to get the award and things like that, you know, and met Kevin Matthews and met Dan Lepkus. And, and I, and I was, I was hooked this high yield world with this contest and meeting all these progressive farmers. And I wouldn't be sitting here today if Tim Wolf hadn't called me back in the summer of 2015 because of the doors that's opened. To tell you the truth, it gives me goosebumps because the things that I have learned and the people I've met and the experiences I've had because Tim Wolf remembered my number, pretty big deal in my life. Wow. That is a great story about connections. My gosh. (laughs) Yes. It's all about networking and communication. That's the key to life in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. So can you just explain for those of us who are not familiar with it, can you explain how the Netafim irrigation works? And then also how many acres do you actually have it on? Because it's not all of them, right? No, we, we have 370 acres now. You know, we had been installing some there for a few years and then we bought some land and, you know, there's only so much money to go around. So we haven't put in any more, but the land we bought, I do plan to irrigate. That's part of the reason I wanted to buy it. So again, 370 acres, we started with 78. Essentially, there's a seven eighths inch water line every 60 inches going across the field and ours are 16 inches deep. And I have one well that irrigates about 150 acres. And then I have another floating pump that irrigates 100. And I have a third system that is on a semi-trailer and I move it every 48 hours. And every time I move it, it moves to about another 35 or 40 acre spot. So the semi-trailer does about 120 acres, give or take. And two of those spots in 48 hours, I'm able to apply an inch of moisture. And in the third spot, it applies about 6,500, six and a half tenths of rain. So I'm putting six and a half tenths of rain on once every six days, basically. And the first time I raised 300 bushel corn was that field. That's a farm that my great, great grandfather bought in 1904 and I raised 312 bushel corn. And it's the first farm I bought. I bought it from my grandmother when I was 25 for $700 an acre. And my grandfather died when I was nine. And I imagine what he would say if he thought we raised 312 bushel corn on that farm. (laughs) Wouldn't quite believe it, huh? (laughs) No, he would not believe it. 
He bought the farm from his brother for $50 an acre. So to think that you could raise 312 bushel corn on that farm, it's a rough farm. It's, you know, it's, it's hilly, you know, just a lot of history there. Wow. You said you were using a well. The first system we put in, we drilled a well. And when we drilled the test well, there's 1,500 gallons a minute possible well. So there is a lot of water. So, you know, talking with Kurt at that time, things like that, we upgraded. We put in a 16-inch casing. We put on a bigger wellhead. And we can irrigate 450 acres out of that well, we believe. We're currently only doing 150, like I said. But we can do 450 acres. And uh, we plan on doing that at some time. We just haven't got there yet. And the reason is, is all that water... Now that well cost 80,000 bucks. And so now every time I see a, a water source, surface water, to me, it's worth $80,000. So that's where I've chosen to put the irrigation now. And in Western Iowa, there's so much water available that I really don't feel that I will have to dig another well. I, I wouldn't necessarily be against it, but I choose not to because it, it's obviously more affordable to not have to do that. We'll get back to our conversation with Kelly Garrett in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing, for supporting today's episode. With the tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now let's get back to Kelly Garrett as he explains how he got involved in the carbon credits marketplace and where he sees it going in the future. So let's talk about carbon. Besides the plant food that you're using that has the, the carbon source, you've also gotten involved with Nori's Carbon Credits Marketplace, and you're one of the first farmers ever to actually get paid for carbon sequestration through uh, Locus Ag's Carbon Now program. So just tell us how that came about. Well, and this is again because of drip irrigation. I'm part of a website named extremeag.farm which is six high yield farmers from across the nation. When I say high yield, it just means that we have all won some sort of uh, yield contest a time or two. Uh, So there's six high yield farmers and uh, an agronomist that we're friends with, Melissa, and Locus Ag Solutions, Brian Gipray from Northern Kansas, works for Locus, and he contacted Kevin Matthews, one of my partners and good friends in Extreme Ag, and mentioned to him they're looking for an early adopter to go into this carbon market. And, you know, the seven of us talk or text every day, and this was quite interesting to think that we would sell carbon and, and, you know, just a really new idea. A few years ago, we had kind of been involved in some carbon market stuff. You know, it really didn't turn out that great. It was kind of a flash in the pan, but I I thought, what the heck, you know, I I just will have a conversation because, again, everything in life is communication and networking, you know. So I called Brian and being 100% no-till, the plant food, the cows, the cover crops, we're a natural fit. And I didn't have much to lose. They really weren't going to get paid until I did, you know. So we went went through with it. And my aunt Connie is the bookkeeper for the farm for my dad and I, my dad's sister. And I have to give her the bulk of the credit here because... We have about 60 hours worth of, of work, of labor into compiling all the information. We had to validate and verify our last 10 years. And when I say last 10, 2010 to 2019 is what we did. And we had to show 
yields and acres and records, you know, of everything we did. So we used our FSA records and we used our crop insurance records because when you're talking about the amount of money that that is at stake here or available to get to you, you know, they're not just going to believe you. You have to be able to verify it. So that's why we use the those sources because, you know, it's a, a third party. And and then we were able to sell as part of Nori's P5 program, we were able to sell the credits from the years 2015 to 2019. And Nori verified that we had 22,750 credits on the 3,200 acres we put in the program. We didn't put every acre that we have into the program at first because we didn't know what was going to happen. So we put in family-owned ground, things like that. Uh, we didn't want to go ask a landlord to do that because we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't want to take that risk. So we did that and we ended up with 22,750 credits again, and they're worth about $15 a credit if someone comes forward to buy them. Around the 1st of December, Shopify bought 5,000 of the credits and we've, we received $75,000. Shopify is advertising that they are using this to offset the emissions generated from their Black Friday sales. And Shopify doesn't have to do this. They just want to be good to the environment. Since then, in the Nori marketplace, we have sold about another 2,630 credits. And on the 1st of February, we got another $40,000, which is great. I can't tell you who, who purchased those credits, though, because it was more than one sale. It's just, you know, this other a combination of small sales. So, we're up to about $115,000 of income from this and for 60 hours worth of work. I mean, it very much is worth it. And as a no-till farmer, I can't encourage you enough to contact Locus and talk to Brian and and see what you can do here because this is a great program for farmers. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. And and then you'll just stay in the program then going forward. And I imagine the number of credits might go down like next year compared to the previous five years. Depending on weather and yields, it could, yes. But but a key to that, a key to that is Locus. And the reason that Locus is involved in this program, their main product is, is a biological called Rhizolizer Dual. You know, we verified that through those five years, we sequestered approximately 1.15 tons of carbon per acre per year. And the data from Locus says that if you use Rhizolizer, like in furrow, is what we're going to do, that you will sequester three tons instead of one. So when you're looking at $15 a credit, and you're going to go from 1.15 to 3, the income generated there is pretty impressive. And I I have to say that if I can sequester three tons instead of one, I'm excited about what my yields are going to do because I think they're going to do nothing but go up. Because again, 95% of raising corn is water, sunlight, and CO2. So the more carbon I can put in that soil, the better off we're going to be. Yeah. And the better off the environment's going to be too. But you know, the reason I want to do it, obviously, is for my yields. And, you know, in the next three years, the plan would be to sell credits again in three years, 20, you know, after the years of 2021 and 22, which now is only, you know, a year and a half away, I guess. But after 22, well, in 21 and 22, if I can use the Rhizolizer and, and it works as advertised, the income will be better next time than it has been this time because we'll sequester more, more carbon. I see. Okay. So you're not necessarily recalculating them every year. You're saying you're recalculating those credits on a maybe a three-year basis or so? Right. You know, it, you have to go through a third-party validator, you know, independent, you know, unbiased third-party. The one we used was Aster Global, which was a company out of Washington, D.C. 
And a gentleman called, we had a conversation, he had questions and, and I pointed him to the extreme ag website, you know, so that was easy for us. And, uh, you know, he, he actually had a soil science degree from Iowa state. So it was a nice conversation with him and uh, he was a, you know, he, he agreed and understood everything I shared with him and, and that was simple, but that's about 3,500 to $5,000. So number one, instead of having that expense every year, you'd have it every three years. And as a buyer, they want a large block of credits. So the amount of credits we would generate over three years versus one obviously would be three times. And that's more attractive to buyers like Shopify. You know, Microsoft is supposed to be interested, Google, things like that. So you want to generate as large a block of credits as you can. Okay, I see. And so most of these carbon sequestration programs are based on practice change, but you didn't really have to add new practices. No, we did not. But you have to show that somewhere between 2010 and 14 in those years that you did something to enhance yours. Like now ours in 2012, we added the trash wheels. If you didn't do anything to enhance in those years, you will not qualify to be part of the program. You have to do something to improve your practices. You know, the the CSP program is the same thing. Every year we need to add enhancements. This works much the same way. And now let's just talk about that Rhizolizer Duo, because my understanding is you did use it somewhat last year in 2020. We did not become involved in the program soon enough to put it in furrow, but what we did was put it through our drip irrigation. And you know, we have learned over the years, people like Kevin and Dan helping us, we we have learned that we want to keep the nitrogen in the tissue sample on our corn above 4%. And I've also learned that putting 28 or 32% nitrogen through my drip irrigation isn't going to accomplish much. It doesn't become plant available soon enough for the plant to take it up. And the reason I know this, or I believe this, is because we're taking tissue samples every week and it doesn't move the needle at all. So this summer, we thought we had some pretty special corn again, like I said, and the nitrogen was about 4.2, so I was happy. Well, all of a sudden it comes back one week and it's 3.75, 3.76. And I said, well, here comes the big drop. And I can tell you when it happens, it's approximately the 1st of August, end of July, the corn's going into the rapid growth phase when it just literally cannot take up enough nutrients, okay? And and I said, well, it's that time of year, so that's about natural that that's going to happen, and it starts to fall. And Mike Evans, the agronomist that we work with, good friend of mine, suggested that we put rhizolizer through the system. Maybe things were getting tied up. We need to stimulate the microbial activity. Let's see what happens. So we put rhizolizer through. No additional nitrogen, only rhizolizer. And in one week's time, we went from 3.76 to 4.24. We raised it almost half a point, not quite half a point, which is a 12% increase in nitrogen in the tissue. And we are, we still want to use it in furrow to verify it on a widespread basis, but that was very exciting that that happened. Very exciting. And I, I'm excited to see what happens this year when we put it on our in program with our starter fertilizer. Nice. Okay. And so that, that field of that special corn that you talked about where you had used the, the rhizolizer in the drip irrigation, you say that got hit by the derecho. It's a 60 acre field and there's about a 10 or 12 acre, what I would call a sweet spot. And so the 60 acre field, we planted it at 38,000, except for the sweet spot, I planted it at 50,000. I would tell you right away, don't do that. That was a bad idea. (laughs) And the reason I did that is I try to raise a half a pound of corn per stalk. And to raise 445 or 50 bushel corn, you need 49,652 plants at a half a pound. (laughs) So... 
So we did that. And uh, then the wind came up that morning on August 10th. And the 38,000 corn really stood pretty well. The 50,000 corn was about ankle high. So we're back to the drawing board. We will not plant 50,000 population again. That must have been just a really disturbing time when that happened. It was, you know, it really was. We, you know, we were blessed. The people on the eastern part of the state had so much more damage than we did. You know, we didn't have grain bins or houses or or barns or buildings damaged, just the crop. You know, on the eastern part of the state, it was so much worse. We drove over there, actually had to go to Illinois that later that day, and we saw the devastation. And so we really felt pretty blessed. But every acre we farm was either touched by hail or wind. So it it was it was quite a sight. And I hope that we don't ever have to talk about the word derecho again, but you know, storms seem like they're getting worse in the summer. So who knows? But yeah, I mean, the storm came up and we let, we were at my house that day. We drove out there and I crawled up on top of the grain bin so I could look out across that field. And you could see right where that prescription for the population was written in because to a plant, the 50,000 was flat and the 38,000 was standing. It, uh, it was really kind of remarkable to see to see what happened. Wow, that is pretty crazy. Well, you do some some crazy things from what I understand. I, I gather you this past December decided to plant some soybean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. December 8th, it was 60 degrees. It was dry. We had been doing some other experimental things with our drill. We have a 1990 John Deere air drill. We've been doing some other experimental things. There was a tote of beans left over in the back of the shop that we hadn't used. And we had that drill out. The weather was nice. And I've always wanted to plant it in March. I've never been able to plant in March yet. You know, April 6th, 7th, 8th is our earliest. And I said, you know what? I've seen other people on Facebook and Twitter that have planted early. Let's just go plant 35 acres of beans. And my uh, oldest son, Connor, and Mike Evans, the agronomist, and my dad said, you are crazy, (laughs) which it, it is. It really was. But the drill was out. The beans were in the back of the shop. We planted 35 acres of beans at like 180,000 population. Do I think they're going to grow? Probably not. But who knows? And we're not going to know unless we try. I, I would tell you that I'm not any smarter than anybody else. I don't work any harder than anybody else. The one thing is, though, I'm not afraid to try. Yeah. And, and we're not going to know unless we try. And we'll most likely end up replanting those. I don't know. I hope we don't because wouldn't it be exciting if I can harvest those? But, but who knows? You know, I I really think that we learn more from our failures in life than our successes. And if this is a failure, I still believe that we'll learn a couple of things and we really don't have that much at risk. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that they grow, but who knows? It'll take, it'll just take luck. If it warms up this spring and stays warm and they grow, we might be okay. If it warms up and they grow and then it gets cold, we're going to have a problem. (laughs) But I will tell you that our earliest beans this last year were planted April 7th. And even the cotyledons were above the ground and it got down to 28. They turned black. And I thought, oh, we're going to be replanting these because everybody thought we were crazy when we planted that early. (laughs) And they ended up made, there was a 1.7 variety, made 67 bushels, our best beans. Wow. I didn't think they're going to be our best beans till August 10th, but they didn't get hailed on. Um, So, you know, we had other beans that were uh, 45 from the hail. They were far enough south. They were out of that band of hail. They made 67 bushel and I thought they were going to die. On, on about the 25th, 28th of April, I wouldn't give you much for them. Huh. That's amazing. <laughs> so, so it makes me, ha- you know, I'm eternally optimistic. So we'll see what happens. Right. Nice. 
Well, I'm, I'm very curious to hear, are there any particular failures that come to mind that ended up turning out really well or, or really gave you some good insights into things that other people would be- benefit from learning about? You know, planting the 50,000, I would not do that. You know, plant food has been a huge undertaking and nobody else does that. So we've kind of had to figure it out along the way. I would say the thing I've learned most about the failures is don't stop trying and, and don't become disgruntled and just carry on and don't ever, you know, don't shut a door. Keep, you know, keep networking, keep working with other people, keep sharing your experiences and listening to theirs. And, you know, who, I wanted to raise 270 bushel corn with the irrigation and, and look where we sit talking today because of the carbon market. And we, again, we wouldn't be here today if I didn't have that irrigation in and whoever would have thought those things would have transpired the way they are. So I, I I guess I don't have one specific example, but I would say don't stop trying because you didn't quite meet expectations. Mm -hmm. There's always a silver lining. I I heard somewhere there are no failures, just outcomes we didn't expect. I have those every day. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your, this website, extremeag.farm. Just tell us about the purpose of the website, what your goals are and, and what you guys are doing together. So, because of Brian and Darren Hefty, the Ag PhDs, and their field day, which is always the fourth Thursday in July, one of the greatest days of the year for me, all of us were, were participants in what their fir- were their first step trials. And we all became friends. Kevin and Dan and I first, really, because of the Netafim drip irrigation. And then, you know, Kevin knew Chad Henderson and Kevin knew Matt Miles and, and Kevin knew Lee Lubers because Kevin had been at, at Hefty's longer than we had. And all six of us became friends. And Melissa is Dan's fiance and she's a great agronomist. And, you know, just all we all became acquainted and would speak at that field day. People would ask questions, you know, and we we just enjoyed being around each other. Those guys are really like my brothers now. And Melissa, my sister, we're very close. We either talk or text every day. And Kevin noticed on Matthew's Family Farm's website that when he would be at a speaking engagement, the hits on his website would go up. And he floated the idea to me about just charging a subscription to his website. And he would put some of his things up on his website that he did that were different than other people. And maybe someone would pay for that information. And Extreme Ag grew out of that idea from Kevin. And, you know, and then here we sit today. Initially, it was going to be Kevin and Dan and I. And then we invited Matt in Arkansas and, and Chad in Alabama and, and Lee in South Dakota. And, and uh, you know, and, and of course, Melissa as the agronomist. We, we feel that having a, a female is a, a different dynamic to the group gives a different perspective and and as an agronomist also gives a different one and extreme ag is not about chasing high yields and and yield contests we all enjoy doing that as a hobby but what extreme ag about is about is helping you improve your roi and again we don't think that we're any smarter or work any harder but we all try to do new things, progressive things, and we can help you shorten your learning curve. And I, I guess we've been told we're different because we're not afraid to share with you and be open with what we're doing. So so much now in the farming community and the, the competition that exists with your neighbor, people don't share and uh, help each other out as much. And we're not afraid to share. 
there's there's plenty of room for all of us and we enjoy working together and we enjoy helping others and because of extreme ag i've i've met a lot of people and it real it's great you know last year what i did with extreme ag i had five corn starter trials and i had five bean foliar trials and the best bean foliar program i had i added $45 a net income with $9.60 beans my best corn starter program, I added $43 in that income. As a, If you subscribe to Extreme Ag, we'll share with you what the exact recipe was. And you, you decide if you want to do that on your farm. We're not going to try to tell you what to do on your farm. We're just going to tell you what we're doing. And, you know, a bronze membership is $750. And for that, you can see all the private information on the website. There's a lot of public information, but there's private information that you can get to at that membership. For $1,500, you can see all the information on the website and you can email us and ask us questions. And uh, sometimes I get tired of typing, so I'll just email you my phone number. We'll just talk over the phone Uh because I enjoy that more. And uh, we'll just again, we're not going to tell you what to do. We'll just share with you what we do. And we just enjoy it. You know, there's several companies now. The one thing we've been surprised with is there's several companies that want to sponsor us. And they either give us money or product or some of both. And we use their products and we report back to trials because we feel that we have great credibility. And farmers have a hard time or they're always skeptical of a salesman. Well, we would like to think that they're not skeptical of us because we're going to tell you the truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What what works and what doesn't. And again, it's just about shortening that learning curve. Right. And that's super helpful when it takes an entire year to learn something, basically, an entire growing season to have a table. Exactly. And then if it's one of those failures that you that you didn't learn and you have to wait till next year to try to correct it, you know, if I can shorten your learning curve up by two or three years, that's a lot. Yeah. That's pretty valuable information for $1,500 in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you guys are not all from the same geographic region, correct? No. No. And that, you know, that Lee is in the middle of South Dakota, Gregory, South Dakota. I'm obviously Western Iowa. Dan is close to Oregon, Illinois. Matt is in McGee, Arkansas. Chad is not too far out of Huntsville, Alabama, Madison, Alabama. And Kevin is in the Yadkin River Valley in North Carolina, not too far from the Winston-Salem area. And Melissa, of course, lives right next to Dan. Makes sense. (laughs) And so will you sort of pair up with if farmers contact you and they're from, you know, somewhere that's maybe South Carolina, North Carolina or whatever, they'll pair up with with Kevin. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. You know, you know, somebody from the South is obviously going to get a lot more help from Chad or Matt or Kevin, whereas someone further North or would, would talk to, to Dan or, or Lee or I. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you want to talk about wheat, you need to talk to Lee. If you want to talk about rice, you need to talk to Matt. You know, I mean that, that those are things that, that they do and that, that the rest of us don't. I have a little winter wheat, but I will tell you, I talk to Lee as well because he teaches me a lot. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Great. Well, I guess that's about all of my questions. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to share with our podcast listeners? If anybody wants to talk about extreme ag and and ask questions, you know, about joining, please let me know. If anybody has any questions about the carbon markets or locusts or or anything like that, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to talk to you. And and I want to say thank you for having me on. It was it was a big honor and, and a great experience. I really appreciate your time today. I think your story is so inspiring and I just love your positive attitude. My number one goal in life is to have fun. Awesome. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, I was I was gonna ask you what's the key to your success and I think that must be it. That's it. I, <laughs> I don't have to work very many days because I love what I do. 
<laughs> nice. Well, hey, I sure do appreciate your time today. It's been great. It has. Thank you very much. Thanks to Arian Iowa no-tiller Kelly Garrett for this conversation. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and dryland no-tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer Spell, F-A-R-M-R, and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.